0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about something called dry eye in dogs. So if you have certain breeds of dogs, such as Cocker Spaniels, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, Bulldogs, Lhasa Opsos, I want to make sure that you tune in. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to DynaVite for help. Order a 90 day supply of DynaVite. Pick up two bottles of Licochops, get the third bottle free. New improved Licochops with omega 6, omega 3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Licochops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasevich for DynaVite. D I N O V I T E. Let's talk pets on
0: PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to have Dr. Shelby Reinstein who's a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist, and she practices at the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center in Levittown, Pennsylvania. Shelby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background about where you trained, who you are, and the path to becoming a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist, because I know there's less than a thousand of you guys out there. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's surely a long road, but well worth it in the end. I went to undergraduate, completed a master's degree, and did my four years of veterinary school all at Kansas State University. I was born and raised in Oklahoma, so made a quick jaunt north. After I completed veterinary school, in order to pursue the path of becoming an ophthalmologist, I completed a one-year specialty internship at uh, Michigan State University, so I did small animal medicine and surgery. Then I was lucky enough to be accepted to a fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania. So sort of steadily headed east, joined the ophthalmology team at UPenn in 2009, completed a one-year fellowship, and then a three-year residency in ophthalmology, and then uh, thankfully passed the gruesome board-certifying examination process. And uh, so that brings us to about six years ago when I became board-certified, stayed in the area. I love the East Coast. Surely, now feel more at home here than I would ever at Oklahoma. And so stayed here and joined the team at VSEC, the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Center, which is now part of Blue Pearl. Wonderful. And I think a lot of pet owners out there
0: don't always realize what a specialist does, but as we can hear from your introduction, done a ton of additional training. And so what actual quote letters should a pet owner look for behind a vet's name to know that they're a specialist in the field of veterinary ophthalmology?
1: Great question. So I'm technically considered a diplomate. So the first letter would be D. And then the certifying or um, granting college is the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists. So D-A-C-V-O. And if anybody wants more information on, you know, the path to become an ophthalmologist, what we do, what species we work on, I always say it's basically everything that has an eyeball that's not a human. That's our territory. So everything from you know, the aquatic, the fish, the dolphins, the avian species, exotic species, horses, goats, llamas. I specialize solely in dogs and cats. So I just stick with the small animal ones. But there are surely ophthalmologists, veterinary ophthalmologists out there who have some pretty phenomenal interactions with zoo and wildlife. If you want to visit www.acvo.org. There's some fantastic information for pet owners on there. If you need to locate an ophthalmologist in your region, that website will have all of that information for you.
0: So helpful to know. I know veterinarians absolutely love their veterinary ophthalmologists in the area because eyeballs are hard. They're really frustrating and they're really delicate. And so that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love uh, having Dr. Shelby on. Now, one topic I wanted to talk about today is something that is near and dear to my heart because I have the same exact things going on with my eyeballs. It's called dry eye or coradoconjunctivitis sicca, which is sort of a mouthful or KCS. So I was wondering if you could tell us what is KCS and what causes dry eye?
1: Absolutely. So as you said, dry eye can go by multiple different names. I think KCS is one that's fairly common and that any pet owner that has a dog who's diagnosed with dry eye should be familiar with that acronym. It basically means that the surfaces of the eyes, so the cornea, which is the clear window of the eye, and the conjunctiva, which is our white membranes of our eyes, have gone dry. And definitely, Justine, as you mentioned, this is a very, very common syndrome that we see in people as well. And surely the basic underlying problem is the same, but I always encourage my clients to take everything they know about dry eye in people and sort of chuck it out the window. Because even though the basic problem is the same, all of the problems that we can see because of dry eye And a lot of the treatments are very, very different. What are some of the top breeds that we should worry about?
0: And how do we go about treating dry eye? Is it a chronic problem? And how
1: hard is it to medicate a dog's eye? Yeah, so lots of great information. So basically dry eye in dogs occurs for the same reason it does in people. And that's when the tear gland, which is located sort of above each eyeball underneath the brow bone, that gland secretes water. And it, that watery portion of the tears is then sort of spread across the surface of the eye. But I think it's super important for people to understand that tears are not just water. Tears contain a ton of very, very important properties. There's natural antibiotic properties. All of the nutrition for the surface of the eye, such as oxygen and sugars and amino acids and vitamins, they exist in part of our tears there's oils, there's mucus. So all of this this recipe is very delicate. And as I tell people, my clients, and I think it's really important to understand that if one little tiny part of this entire recipe is off, just like in baking, which I'm terrible at, The whole thing is going to be off. The whole recipe is going to be off. And so while the watery portion of the tears is very important, there are a lot of components of the tear film. And so that's why I tell people that one of my main goals in treating dry eye is not just to put moisture on the eye. So don't just go to CVS or Rite Aid and get a moisturizing eye drop. That does not contain all of the right stuff that we need to truly maintain a healthy eyeball surface. And so nothing is better than having your pet make its own tears. And so, the mainstay of therapy in dogs with dry eyes is what we call a tear stimulating medication. And these are almost always administered as an eye drop or as an eye ointment. And these medications ask your pet's tear gland to make us more of that good tear. And so, while many pets will require other medications, usually in the initial phases, such as an antibiotic, if we have lots of gunky discharge, for example, which is probably the number one symptom of dry eye in dogs as they get a really sort of sticky, copious, sometimes greenish, brownish discharge from the eyes. Sometimes it's important to treat them with topical antibiotic eye drops in addition. But the most important concept of having a pet with dry eye is to understand that they will need their tear-stimulating eye medication on a daily basis, lifelong. Dry eye is not something that goes away. It's something that we manage. Thankfully, the majority of the time, our pets are easily treated with daily medications, and we can prevent the really devastating consequences of untreated or poorly treated dry eye as long as we're diligent. And how do owners know if their dog has dry eye? Like, are there certain breeds that are more
0: likely to develop it? And what are some of the clinical signs that we should be watching out for?
1: So I would say that the top breeds to be affected by dry eye are bull dogs, hugs, Shih Tzus, Lhasa Apsos, and then your Spaniels. So your Cocker Spaniels and your Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. I would say that overwhelmingly, dry eye is a small breed dog problem. So, any dog like a Yorkie or a poodle, those breeds absolutely can get dry eye. Not to say that a mixed breed dog, for example, couldn't get dry eye. Anytime you mix something in, let's say you mix in a little cocker spaniel, that dry eye probability can be mixed in as well. The most common symptoms that we will see in pets who have dry eye is symptoms of eye irritation. So that includes things like your pet rubbing its face or pawing at its eye, rubbing it on the carpet or on your leg or on a pillow. The membranes of the eyes become red and oftentimes swollen or puffy. Oftentimes they do develop a significant discharge and we talked about that. So it's sort of a thick, sticky, so not your standard just morning little gray eye booger, but generally a copious sticky discharge. Sometimes these symptoms are very similar To, For example, seasonal allergies and a lot of the breeds that I mentioned, especially the spaniels and the bulldogs also have pretty significant allergies. And so I will tell you that don't always assume that your pet's eye symptoms are secondary to allergic disease or an allergy flare up. I will oftentimes see these pets who do have seasonal or year-round systemic allergies also develop dry eye. And while treating the allergies will oftentimes improve the ocular or eye symptoms, we usually have to use eye medications as well. One of the more important things I think I want you guys to know is to get your pet's eyes checked out sooner rather than later. Don't just assume that it's allergies and again, go to the CVS and get some eye wash or some moisturizing Visine. Always take your pet to its veterinarian for evaluation. General veterinarians can do a test for dry eye. It's called a Schirmer tear test, and it's where a little strip of uh, very fine filter paper is put up against your pet's eyelid, and that wicks up or measures the amount of moisture on your pet's eye surface. And this is the way that a veterinarian, in addition to looking at the eye and looking at the symptoms your pet's demonstrating, the Schirmer tear test can give them a measurement of an abnormal tear production. And that then is diagnostic for dry eye. So it's a fairly simple test that your veterinarian and your general veterinarian can do. But the longer we wait and the longer we allow your pet's eyes to be dry, we end up having a very high risk of complications. And unfortunately, as a veterinary ophthalmologist, I end up seeing some pets with very, very severe dry eye because it's been untreated or undiagnosed for months to even years. So sometimes we can see things that happen to the cornea. The cornea is the clear window of the eye. And that structure does not like being dry. And so because it is has friction and irritation and it's missing the majority of the nutritional supply, it will do things like become foggy or hazy. It will grow in blood vessels, so little red lines or red bumps will form on the surface of the eye. And over time, severe dry eye can result in a brown discoloration all over the surface of the eye, which is called corneal pigmentation. And all of these changes affect your pet's ability to see. Some of them can be reversible, surely, with appropriate therapy, but I would much rather begin therapy earlier and prevent these complications from occurring rather than trying to play catch up at the end. And unfortunately, a more devastating complication of corneal ulceration, which is when there's a wound on the surface, can develop with dry eye. Dogs with dry eye have a very high risk of developing ulcers on the surface because those surface cells are unhealthy. They're unhappy. They can crack and break open just like a patch of dry skin can do. And then when we get an ulcer in a dog with dry eye, bacterial infection sets in very, very quickly. These bacterial infections can be incredibly challenging to treat and unfortunately surgery to try and save the eye or surgery to remove a permanently damaged eye is a fairly common consequence of chronic poorly treated dry eye.
0: Great information. So important for pet owners to know about the long-term treatment of dry eye and what we need to do to recognize it right away. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. We'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Pretty Litter. A bag of Pretty Litter weighs four pounds and it's really lightweight. Most litter weighs between 20 to 40 pounds. It's also long-lasting. One bag of Pretty Litter lasts an entire month for one cat. It's also got built-in health monitoring. It keeps tabs on your cat's health by changing color if it detects potential health issues. For example, pretty litter may turn green or blue if it notices a high urinary pH, which can lead to bladder crystals and stone formation. If pretty litter turns red, purple or red it may indicate that there's blood in there and this can oftentimes be a sign of bladder stones crystals bladder inflammation or even a urinary tract infection if you notice an unusual color when in doubt Consult with your veterinarian to find out what's going on. We'll want to get a sterile urine sample, but it could be a helpful indicator by keeping tab on your cat's health. Pretty litter also has microcrystals that absorb the urine and odor, so it's got amazing odor control. Also, it's easy maintenance. All you have to do is scoop the poop, no more clumping. Pretty Litter is delivered straight to your door every month with free shipping. So it's hassle-free and convenient. Go to prettylittercats.com/ervet and use the promo code ERVET for 20% off your first subscription order. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life, Radio. Pet Life Radio. .com. <laughs> To ER vet on Pet Life Radio, we've been talking with Dr. Shelby Reinstein about the importance of recognizing the clinical signs of dry eye in your dog. Now we're going to talk about how we're going to treat it. Now, what medications are out there that we can use to treat dry eye in dogs?
1: Great question. So, as I mentioned earlier, the foundation in treating a dog with dry eye is to stimulate that dog's own tear gland to produce natural tears. Since natural tears contain such important properties and all the nutrition, there really is no over the counter lubricant that's better than having your dog make its own tears. So we call these medications tear-stimulating medications. And Merck Animal Health makes the only commercially available product, which is called OptiMune. And OptiMune is 0.2% cyclosporine ointment. Anybody who has a friend or colleague with dry eye may have heard of a drop called Ristasis in people, or you've probably seen the TV commercials. This is dog Restasis. So Restasis is cyclosporine as well. And what this medication does is it calms down the inflammation in that gland and allows the gland to do its job of secreting normal tears. This medication is most often prescribed by a general veterinarian or a veterinary ophthalmologist at two to three times daily. But as I mentioned earlier, in the early phases of dry eye, oftentimes your pet's eye surface has an overgrowth of bacteria I don't like to call it a true eye infection because in my opinion, you have to have a wound to have an infection. Really what's happening is that the natural moisture on your pet's eye isn't there. So it's not flushing away the normal bacteria that we have on our surface. In addition, tears have a normal antibacterial property. And so without that, bacteria sort of take over. So we just have too much of the normal bacteria in a dog with dry eye. So antibiotic drops or antibiotic ointments are oftentimes used in the early phases in addition to using Optimune to help reduce the overgrowth of bacteria and get that number back in check. Another really important medication that your veterinarian may prescribe would be a lubricating drop. I always tell people what your pet's eyes are missing right now is moisture. And the reason they're squinting, the reason they're rubbing at their face, the reason why they're blinking a lot is because their eyes are dry. Optimune can take approximately one to two months to have a full effect Although we generally see an improvement within the first couple weeks of use, until we start to really get a benefit from that medication, your pet will benefit greatly from a lubricating medication. I personally prefer a gel style lubricant. The drops that are over the counter that people would use are just super wimpy and that's because in comparison to human dry eye that's a wimpy thing when we're comparing it to dogs. People don't have the same degree of dryness that dogs do. I think a lubricating ointment is fine as well, but I don't think it helps flush the surface as well. So I like to go in the middle ground, which is a gel product. There there's some over-the-counter gels that you can get. There's some veterinary-specific eye lubricating gels. And I think that they are incredibly soothing and provide a lot of relief to your pet in the early phases until we really can get their own tear gland to start kicking back into gear and making their own tears. When we start off treating dry eye, it can be overwhelming because there can be three or even four different medications that your pet may need applied to their eyes. But as long as you make it a positive experience, your pet's going to recognize really quickly that every time they get something put in their eye, they get a cookie or their owner claps for them, and even better, their eyes start to feel better. And as the tear gland kicks back into gear and starts making more moisture, we can greatly reduce our medication. So we don't need antibiotics long term. We probably don't need the lubrication long term as long as your pet starts making its own tears. So, really, the thing that you should Bank on using long term is that tear stimulating medication like Optimune.
0: Now, as a dog owner and also as a veterinarian, I know that some people have a really hard time getting medications into their dog or their cat's eyes. Do you have any tip as a veterinary ophthalmologist of how? we can do it besides the treats. Are there, you know, is it a two person technique or, you know, how do we open the eyelids and safely touch it? Can we use medications that we've had in the past that are sitting in a drawer that, you know, maybe just expired by one year. What are your general thoughts and tips on this?
1: So let me start by saying, please don't use an expired medication or really use any eye medication that was not prescribed for your pet for this condition. Let's say last year your pet had a flare-up of allergies and your veterinarian prescribed a, an ointment. That ointment very well might have had a steroid in it. Allergies are are very effectively treated with steroid ointments, for example. Now, your pet may be demonstrating similar symptoms, redness to the membranes, squinting, puffy of eyelids mucousy discharge, but maybe your pet has a corneal ulcer in addition to having its dry eye. If you were to use that medication that contained a topical steroid in the current situation, you would make things terribly, terribly go downhill. So topical steroids can't be used if you have a wound. They can predispose to infection and cause the ulcer to get really bad. So I would encourage you never to put medication in your pet's eye unless it's been prescribed by your veterinarian for this situation. Don't just assume that if the symptoms are similar, it's the same thing. I will tell you that all day, every day in my office, my nurses and myself basically train people how to give their pets eye drops. So if you're one of those pet owners that's struggling, don't feel like you're alone out there. There are plenty of people who've never done it before and plenty of pets who simply have never had their eyes medicated before and now their eyes are painful and we're trying to, you know, pry them open and apply medications. So a couple of really easy tips and tricks. I think whether or not you need a second person is going to kind of be up to, you know, how big your pet is and what sort of challenges you're facing. Sometimes all the challenges is is that your pet's wiggly and that you have to maybe add a a beach towel and sort of put it over their back and wrap it under them and and maybe make them into a little doggy burrito. And that way they're, you know, less able to wiggle around. Obviously, if we're talking about a 50-pound mastiff, that's going to be a little more challenging to restrain with one person. I also think another great tip is to apply your pet's medications when they're not in their comfort zone. So don't go over to your pet when they're laying in their bed or on the couch or on the floor. Your pet feels very comfortable in that area and maybe even possessive of that area. And they're going to be very comfortable either wiggling or trying to fight you when they're in that area. So I always recommend scooping your pet up if possible, laying a towel out on your kitchen table or on your kitchen counter and putting your pet there. Suddenly your pet goes, oh, goodness, I've never been here before. My pet mom is wanting to do something and I don't really feel comfortable getting away. Maybe I'll fall off. So it sort of knocks their confidence level down just a hair. And then the other thing that I think is important And there's two more sort of paramount tips that I think whenever your pet is struggling, whether it be biting you, trying to bite you, just wiggly, I think as pet owners, we want to tell them it's okay, calm down. So we're constantly saying, Fluffy, it's okay, stop. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Everything's okay. And Unfortunately, your pet does not understand English. At least the vast majority of my patients don't. And when you start to use that sort of language with them when they're doing something you don't want, it inadvertently encourages that behavior. They don't know you're saying no, no, stop. They're very much hearing, go, go, you're doing a great job, fight harder, keep doing. They hear that as praise. So any attention or verbal attention that you're giving your pet is encouragement. So if they are struggling, if they are trying to bite, don't say their name. Really don't say anything at all. Just stay calm. Try and get them into a position in which you can restrain them effectively and safely. The time that you want to talk to them is when they're doing what you want. So let's say you feel them relax and you, they let you put their head, their nose up into the air, that's when you say, good job, Fluffy, doing great. And then you give the eye medication, and then it's a big party. So if they allow medicating, if they accept that medication immediately afterwards... There's clapping and great job and you release your restraint and you pet them and then immediately reward them with whatever it may be that they love. Some dogs are food motivated and so give them the yummiest morsel they've ever had, you know, a little lick of peanut butter, a lick of cream cheese, a baby carrot, whatever their ultimate treat is for them. Make sure that you give them that immediately after they take the medication. So don't let them down, run around the house while you're getting the carrot out of the fridge. Have that carrot ready so it's boom, eye drop carrot praise so that they really start to associate positivity with the situation. And the other thing that is a common misconception is trying to bribe our pets to do what we want. And so I always tell people, bribes do not work. So giving them a cookie when they're misbehaving to allow them to be medicated is only going to reward the poor behavior. So you don't want to use a treat to get them to come over to you and give them a treat And then give them the medication because they're just going to get the treat and then run away or get the treat and then still try and bite you when you're giving the medication. So bribes do not work. Rewards are the key.
0: I totally agree, except for the carrots. You want to give something awesome. As a reward. <laughs> carrots are way too healthy. I'm going to go with a small piece of hot dog. Lives
1: for baby carrots. So. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, I'll give you that one.
0: And then the last question I wanted to ask you is, what's the prognosis if my dog was just diagnosed with KCS? And more importantly, when do I know to take it to the next level and decide to make an appointment with a veterinary ophthalmologist?
1: So generally speaking, the prognosis for dogs with dry eye is very good as long as they're diagnosed early, treated effectively, and monitored long term. So what works for us on month one or month two may not necessary month three and four of therapy or your pet's tear gland may have another little stumble a year down the line and we need to again sort of roll with the punches, adjust therapy to address whatever it may be, a little corneal ulcer, a bacterial overgrowth, a tear level that just happened to go down because we had a seasonal allergy flare-up. So as long as you're willing to be diligent with medications, again, not ever stopping a tear stimulant like Optimune being the sort of the mainstay foundation of therapy daily. What we know about these drugs, interestingly, is that I mentioned they can take a while to build up levels. So anywhere from sort of 30 to 45 days for full levels to be achieved. But interestingly, if you miss two or even three days of therapy, The tear production plummets back down. So we very quickly can lose control over what was previously nicely controlled dry eye if, for example, we run out of our medication. So I think part of the prognosis is really on the pet owner making sure that we stay diligent with daily medications, however our veterinarian prescribed it. Justine, you mentioned earlier that a lot of veterinarians, you know, prefer to have an ophthalmologist nearby. And, you know, for the same reason that I love to have my surgeon or my cardiologist and the same reason I take my cat somewhere to get vaccinated, I'm no good at anything other than eyeballs because that's all I do. General veterinarians don't get a lot of ophthalmology in vet school. In most situations, we're talking about, you know, a two or three week rotation during their senior year of veterinary school, and I'll tell you, I went to school for 10 years. It's impossible to become great at ophthalmology in that amount of time. And so many veterinarians will feel very comfortable making the diagnosis of dry eye But perhaps we'll recommend a consultation with the local ophthalmologist whose job it is really to be up to date on the most current treatment options, the best way to get this pet moving in the right direction early on. And then the long term monitoring and medication refills that can totally be done by your general veterinarian. I would say that the other reason why veterinarians or pet owners would choose to seek out the care of a specialist and ophthalmologist would be if things just aren't going well. And I can't tell you that that's not uncommon. There are surely dogs who don't respond to sort of traditional dry eye therapy. And so many of my patients come in perhaps already on an appropriate tear stimulant. Maybe what I need to do is change the concentration. So go with a higher strength medication or I need to add in uh, antibiotic. I need to do a culture because they have a resistant bacterial overgrowth. There are lots of different techniques that we have as an ophthalmologist who can allow us to get a detailed examination of the pet's eyes. So the same thing that you put your chin in and look up, down, left, and right at your ophthalmologist, we have that. So I look at all of my patient's eyes microscopically and I can tell whether or not their surfaces are happy and healthy or whether we need to change up our therapy. So I think plenty of reasons to seek out attention if you, uh, of an ophthalmologist if you don't feel like things are going as well as they should or simply if your veterinarian would prefer to get, you know, our opinion to get the latest and greatest information. I think that that is surely something that, that I love to do on a daily basis.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to teach us about dry eye and to know that there is treatment for it. And when in doubt, we always have resources available, such as a self-referral to a veterinary ophthalmologist. And I always say the corneas or the eyes are the windows to the soul. So it is really important to make sure that we're treating our dogs and our cats when they have eye problems. We don't want to blow it off because it can be a potential emergency and don't want to chance them losing their vision. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at drjustinelee, or email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, but we wanted to give a huge shout-out and thank you again to Dr. Shelby Reinstein and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on petliferadio.com.